Please stand for the reading of God's word. We will be in Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You may be seated. All right, well, good morning, everyone. You can stay there in uh, Matthew chapter 7, as we'll spend the, the bulk of our time in that passage. And in these five verses, our shepherd, Jesus Christ, is warning his flock that there are those who would enter their midst secretly in order to do them harm. A wolf in sheep's clothing, a, a familiar phrase um, some might not realize that it is a, a biblical phrase, and it really springs to life in the hearer's imagination. And we can instantly picture a hungry wolf donning the white wool of its prey and then salivating as it chooses which unsuspecting, which unsuspecting sheep to have for dinner. Well, as followers of Christ... We must all beware of false prophets, for these wolves enter the flock to devour not sheep, but souls. And God's people have always had to be vigilant and discerning in order to ensure that they are not being swayed by false teaching. There are warnings found as early as the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Notice that even if the sign or wonder comes to pass, if they draw you away from God's word, they are to be rejected. If they draw you towards false God, false gospel, they are to be rejected as a false prophet. And that remains true in our day as well. Even if there is uh, the outward appearance of a successful ministry, those who lead others away from the truth of scripture are to be marked and avoided and rejected. It would be difficult to say whether or not the number of false teachers has increased in our day as compared to other eras of church history. But I am confident that the ease at which false teaching can spread has increased dramatically. Thanks to the internet and social media, false teaching is no longer slowed by geographical or cultural restraints. Technology uh, advances mean that false teachers can spread their teaching faster and further, and a false teacher no longer needs to enter through the doors of a local church for their doctrine to harm the members of that church. 
An individual armed with a YouTube channel can influence hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, with subtle lies and theological error and false doctrines. Media-savvy churches with chart-topping music groups can draw millions towards their errant theology. A well-produced podcast can whisper deceit directly into the ears of believers. And given the proliferation of false teachers and the ease at which people can encounter their teaching, it's more vital than ever that we guard against the dangers that they pose to our spiritual well-being, as well as the well-being of our families and of our churches. Now, sadly, the discernment of many Christians stops at whether or not there are good production values. If the video quality is high enough, if the book cover is appealing and it's well-marketed, if the speaker is attractive and well-spoken and well-dressed, well then, it must be good. But beware of relying only on outward appearances to determine whether or not something is good. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. We do not rely on outward appearances, and so we must spend time examining what Scripture says about false teachers. And to do so, we'll look at this passage here in Matthew 7, and we'll also spend some time looking at some verses from the book of Second Peter in order to better guard against these wolves in sheep's clothing. We'll look first at the warning that Christ gives. Secondly, we'll consider the danger that we face. And thirdly, we'll examine the evidence by which we can recognize a false teacher. Let's look first at the warning. Our text begins with the unmistakable call to be vigilant. It says, beware. Beware. It's not really a word that we use all that often. It hasn't been watered down like saying, uh, look out or watch out. Beware, it really is reserved for danger. When we encounter the word beware on a sign while we navigate this world, we know that we have to exercise extreme caution so we don't get electrocuted or bitten by a giant dog or encounter some sort of bodily harm. And we are told by Christ that we, as believers, are to beware of false prophets. In Acts 20, the Apostle Paul, he leaned on this same imagery uh, as we see in our passage when he said his goodbyes to the Ephesian church. He said, keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Those savage wolves are not so foolish as to approach their prey openly, but will instead disguise themselves as sheep so that the danger of their presence will go undetected. False teachers do not announce themselves and their intentions openly, but instead they smuggle in their deceptions so that they will not be immediately rejected. 
This is what is so foolish about some Christians who declare to have vetted some heretical group or some group that is a little bit gray area because, well, they looked on the internet and they didn't see anything explicitly false in their statement of faith. That's foolishness. They do not come out and tell you the heresies that they believe. They do not come out and tell you which passage of scripture they will twist to your own suffering. They pretend to be orthodox believers. As we read in 1 Peter 2.1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. When it comes to the reality of false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, you must understand that they will always present themselves as true Christians. We cannot rely on how they describe their beliefs. We cannot rely on the fact that they call themselves Christians and that they hold a Bible and that they teach from it occasionally in order to determine that they are safe to sit under their teaching. We must exercise more discernment than merely taking someone's word for it that they believe in Jesus and teach the Bible. The application for all believers is simply this. Watch out. Beware. You are in danger. And to stay safe, you must first acknowledge that there is a threat. And so scripture warns us repeatedly that there is a threat. It is definitive. It says that savage wolves will come in among you, not spare the flock. It says that there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies. There will be false teachers. And as we established earlier on, they don't ever have to walk into this room. They don't ever have to step foot in East Grand Forks for you to encounter a false teacher and false teaching. And so you must beware. Do not be so foolish as to walk through some forest filled with hungry wolves while keeping your eyes on the ground and pretending that all is well. You are in danger. You must be alert. You must stay vigilant, knowing there are those who would deceive us if we fail to do so. And I think I can safely say that this warning is especially needful for Christian women. This is not because men are not led astray by false teaching. I do not say that because women are less capable of exercising discernment. I say that because there is so much bad theology that is targeted specifically towards women. 
Browse any Christian bookseller and you will see things at the top of the list like Jesus Calling, Girl, Wash Your Face, and about 300 Joyce Meyer books, and so on and so on. And so women must be especially beware of false teachers, for Satan has recognized that in far too many homes, the burden of being the spiritual leader has fallen on the shoulders of the wife and the mother, and so you will be targeted with deceitful doctrines. And men, do not stand silent while your wife talks to a snake. We dare not commit the sin of Adam and fail to protect our families from false teaching by our apathy and our negligence. And as men and women, and as young and old, we must recognize that there are those who would lead us away from sound doctrine. But what danger does that pose? We know that there must be danger because we are told to beware of it. Let's consider the danger that we face. And false teachers are made more dangerous and effective because of their deception. Puritan Thomas Brooks noted that Satan harms more in his sheepskin than by roaring like a lion. Were Satan to, to walk into the sanctuary of a church and roar like a lion and, and disparage Christ and hurdle false doctrines and accusations, he would be immediately rejected, repudiated, pushed away. But if there is an unwitting flock, a wolf can walk among them with ease and select the easiest prey at will. And these wolves are described by Christ as ravenous. They are ravenous. In other words, we don't use that often. It means that they are extremely hungry. They will tear apart and devour whatever they can set their teeth upon. This ravenous hunger means that they will devour Christians if they get the chance. They will cause them to doubt God's word and his goodness. They will entangle them once again in sin. They'll cause them to make shipwreck of their souls. Moreover, false teaching will divide and destroy the church, Jude 18 and 19. In the last time, there will be, a, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who create divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. False teaching harms churches. False teaching destroys individuals. To follow them is to be led to destruction because that is their ultimate end. We see this in our passage in verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You might recognize that, that phrase from earlier in the book of Matthew. This is the same rebuke that John the Baptist brought against the Sadducees and the Pharisees. In Matthew 3, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. 
Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The end of those who bear bad fruit, and we'll get into that fruit here in a moment, is destruction, damnation, hell. These religious leaders that were spoken against, as, and as Christ would reveal, they were blind guides leading the blind, and both would eventually fall into the ditch. This remains true in our day as well. The end of the false teacher is one of destruction and damnation. And all who profess the name of Christ must beware of them, lest they or those whom they are called to lead and protect would be led to that same end. We must all beware of the serious danger that they pose. It matters not how outwardly successful they may have been. It does not matter how many best-selling books they had. It doesn't matter how many conferences they filled or how large a sanctuary they had. Even if they were to do signs and wonders, if they reject the true gospel of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer damnation. We'll get more into that in next week's sermon and passage. But how is it that we can tell the difference between a true and a false teacher? If the danger is this great, the temptation would be, if I can't tell the difference, I just won't listen to anything. It'd be me and my Bible, no help from any outside source. And you can seriously go wrong without any help from anybody else, just all on your own, if you do not seek wisdom and guidance from trusted teachers. But clearly we must maintain our vigilance. And so what is it that we should watch for? Let's look at the evidence, the evidence of false teachers. As I've already said, it's not enough to look on outward uh, outward appearances or the results of a fruitful ministry, so-called, to determine whether or not it is really trustworthy. In Deuteronomy, we saw Matthew, uh, that, that, that those that did signs and wonders that actually came to pass were to be rejected. In Matthew 24, 24, Christ says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So if that is true of those who could perform signs and wonders, it is certainly true of those who can write a best-selling book or have a chart-topping song or fill an enormous sanctuary or produce some uh, profitable and popular movie or miniseries. So we dare not look at these things as measures of whether or not someone is a true or false teacher. You know, the sad reality is, if anything, so often we are right to regard any with an extremely large church or extremely large online following with more skepticism and not less. But how does that happen? Why is it the case that as soon as you see someone become extremely popular and they're filling sanctuaries week in and week out and they've got best-selling books and they're all over TV and they've got 
lots of popularity, lots of Twitter followers, lots of people on Instagram. Why is it that we should be extra wary? How is it that they even become that popular? Well, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 tells us, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, that's not to say that any teacher that becomes popular is instantly a false teacher. It doesn't mean that someone who writes and publishes a lot of books is instantly a false teacher. Else, Charles Spurgeon and so many people would be right out. But what I will say is that in our day and age, when someone skyrockets to popularity, you ought to approach their teaching with a a healthy level of skepticism. For it just may be that their popularity comes because people will not endure sound teaching, but they have itching ears and they have in this person found someone to suit their own passions who will turn them away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But given the fact that these false teachers make such great efforts to look like and sound like true believers, how can we know what and who to beware of? Well, thankfully, the true shepherd tells us how we will know them. Look here again at uh, Matthew chapter 7. And looking at, sorry, I lost my place. Verses... 16 to 20. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You recognize an apple tree on sight when you see apples growing. You recognize an orange tree when you see oranges growing. We are called to recognize true and false teachers by the fruit that they produce. Now we are told that a diseased tree cannot produce good fruit and, and a good tree, a healthy one cannot bear bad fruit. Now we dare not take this passage to mean that a true follower of Jesus Christ cannot sin. Or we dare not take this passage to mean that a false teacher, a bad tree, a diseased tree cannot do something that we recognize to be good. If that were the case, it would be very easy to spot a false teacher for they would be the most depraved individuals walking around and stepping into pulpits. Rather, what is being talked about here is the true essential nature of that person. If you are in Christ, the fruit that you produce, that is, that is your character, the, the 
characteristics of your life will be in keeping with your position in Christ. Recall that it is by being in Christ, being attached to the true vine, that we bear fruit. Well, despite their best efforts, those that are outside of Christ, these diseased trees, these false teachers, cannot do so. They may produce something that is appealing to the eye, something that looks good to eat, something that may seem desirable, but in the end, it is as a thorn from a fig tree. They cannot bear good fruit, something that in the end ultimately will do you good. We cannot look at many false teachers and necessarily instantly know whether or not that that fruit is good or bad. Remember, they, they do these things in secret. They attempt to be orthodox. And so we don't only look at these outward signs of success in ministry. When I say that, I mean things like the size of the congregation, how popular their their sermons are on YouTube and how many people watch and share them, how quoted they are, how many books they sell, how many conferences they appear at. We would be wrong to look at that and equate that as good fruit. If we did that, we would be led astray by the likes of of Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar and Rachel Hollis and T.D. Jakes and so many others who produce results, results that we often desire for our our own selves and our own teachers and our own churches. But these results are, in fact, just a distorted version of self focused Christianity. So, what is being said here in regards to the good and the bad fruit, this is a call to examine their character, their pattern of life. And since we cannot see the heart as God sees it, we are called to do so by considering their outward conduct. But Jesus does not dive deeper into what the fruit of the false teacher looks like, apart from the fact that it will be bad fruit. Well, what are these bad fruits? Well, for this, we look elsewhere in Scripture where that issue is treated a little bit more directly. One of the most important passages about avoiding the dangers posed by false teaching is found in 2 Peter. I encourage you to turn there. The book of 2 Peter will be in chapter 2 for a little bit. Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 
Well, here we see that among the fruits to be observed in the life of the false teacher are those of false teaching. It's a pretty obvious one, right? The, the false teacher will bring false teaching here described as destructive heresies and false words. We see also they bring sensuality and greed. While there are perhaps other examples of bad fruit that are consistently found when examining false teachers and that we could see uh, evidence given for in Scripture, we see that even these three alone will allow us to mark and avoid nearly all the wolves who would seek to deceive us by their sheep's clothing. Let's consider false teaching. Now, of course, first and foremost, a false teacher is marked by the promotion of doctrine that is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. And so we should be on guard against any who teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 6.3 says. 1 John 4.1 warns us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, how do we put these things to the test? Well, we must be like the Bereans who were commended by Paul because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The apostle Paul comes to them and teaches them about the reality of the Messiah and salvation in Jesus Christ. They receive those things eagerly, but they examine the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. You and I must be in the word at all times so that we will not uh, be susceptible to falsehood. We must be in the word in response to hearing something that we're not sure is true or not. We don't merely accept everything that we are offered, but we must go to scripture to see if it is so. In order to recognize something that is false, we must know what is true. We must be immersed in the word of God. And that's not always as straightforward as it sounds. Again, those things are brought in secretly. We see that they are good at twisting scripture. 2 Peter 3.16 tells us. If you've ever taken the time to read a pamphlet that some Jehovah's Witnesses or maybe some Mormons have left behind, you'll see that they do not emphasize their heretical teaching, but instead they present points of agreement while misusing common terms in order to appear orthodox. The Mormons will speak of heavenly father. And if you are not discerning, you may think that you are in agreement about who God the father is. But you must go further in their teaching to realize and understand that their official doctrine is that as man is, so God was. As God is, so man may become. Mormonism teaches that God was once a sinful man like we are on a different planet and was so good he was rewarded Godhood to be God over us. And if you are a good enough Mormon, you will get to be God of your own planet someday. They're not going to tell you that in the pamphlet that they drop off. The Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
but they will not explain what they mean when they say that Jesus is the first and best creation of God. Jesus is a created being, just like we are. He is not God according to their doctrine. They will not tell you that in the conversation at the door. And then you could go on and on with not only many different uh, offshoots of Christianity, cults and things like that, but even those who uh, have found a home for themselves within Protestant evangelical circles, they're not going to come to you and tell you what they believe. And so you can hear songs by folks like Bethel Music or Hillsong, and all of it sounds good. They'll sing of the Holy Spirit, and it seems orthodox, but they do not tell you that the person who wrote that song pictures the Holy Spirit as genie from Aladdin, as a mischievous blue genie who's always up to tricks. That is their actual words. That is what they believe about the Holy Spirit. They will not go and actually say in those songs the false doctrines they teach about having the power to heal people from all diseases at whim. They will not talk to you and sing about laying on the graves of departed Christians to soak up their extra anointing and then use that anointing to heal people. False teachers will not come out and put on display all the strange heretical ideas they have. They will appear orthodox. They will use similar language that we use. And so we must beware. We must be discerning. We must always be prepared to reject any that brings something to us that does not accord with Scripture. Now, briefly, this does not mean that you may indeed be wrong about something that you read in Scripture and someone will guide you to the correct understanding of what that doctrine is. It does not mean reject all new teaching out of hand because, well, that's not what I believe. That's not what I was raised with. That's not what I was taught. What it is saying is if they don't correct you with Scripture and show you from God's word where you are mistaken, you are not to accept that teaching. Paul warned the Galatians in Galatians 1.8, even if we, that is the apostles, the apostles of Jesus Christ, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Think of that. Paul is saying, if I come back to you in a week and I bring Peter and the gang and we start to teach you something contrary to the gospel that we taught you, contrary to the gospel that is in God's word for us, if an angel from heaven comes and contradicts this gospel, let them be accursed. How much more should those that we maybe gravitated toward, we benefited from one of their books, that's who we were taught by when we were growing up, those things must be rejected if they do not accord with Scripture. Any who preach anything other than that of salvation by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, are peddling a false gospel. They are a wolf. 
adding works to the gospel or self-reliance or denying that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Those aren't the only lies that false prophets peddle. They commonly downplay or deny truths about sin and God's judgment. In our world, sins cease to be sins as soon as they become fashionable. God is not to be viewed as holy or wrathful. To speak of judgment against those who are outside of Christ is considered to be outdated and outloving and barbaric. Many false teachers preach a God who's all love and no wrath, all forgiveness and no holiness. Beware about those who, who downplay or teach against the reality of hell or divine judgment. Convince others that God will excuse their sin because of their sincerity. Beware those who teach a different gospel. Beware those who preach a whole sermon and don't use any Bible at all. Although the most obvious one, false teaching is not the only fruit of a false teacher that we can watch for. A second one is is that of sensuality, which is a devotion to satisfying the appetites of the flesh. In 2 Peter 2.2, the apostle writes, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Christianity is being blasphemed because those who promote it and profess it are given in to their lusts. Further on in his letter, he states that they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. That's 2.14. And that they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people who are slaves, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. 2 Peter 2.18-19 says, Whereas the true gospel brings freedom from sin, a false one enslaves you to it. False teachers indulge in sin. They minimize the seriousness of disobedience. Jude 1.4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Because once they begin to twist scripture, why would they not excuse their own sin and encourage others to do so as well? They are slaves to their lust. And they lead others into that same captivity. How many times do we hear of some scandal involving a self-proclaimed servant of Jesus Christ, some major figure, whether a pastor or some other prominent person or teacher who is exposed as an adulterer or even a sexual abuser? Sexual sins are prevalent among false teachers for they're unmoored by the restraints imposed on them by God's word. They've placed themselves as the arbiters of right and wrong. And when this happens, they feel free to indulge themselves and they do so to their own destruction. Yet it must be said that there are examples of false teachers who have avoided public sexual scandal. Some of those is not merely the fact because they're good at hiding it because there isn't any to be found. Some really do live relatively upright lives, but their motive for doing so is not pure. As we read in first, as we read in first Timothy, false teachers see godliness as a means of gain. They see godliness and righteous living and, and becoming influential in, in peddling religion as a means of material gain and getting wealth. They expose themselves 
by their desire for worldly riches and their greed. So greed is, is another fruit that distinguishes false teachers. Second Peter 2, 3, we saw in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Further on, we see that false teachers have hearts trained in greed and that they love gain from wrongdoing. Christ accused the, sad, the scribes and the Pharisees of being outwardly religious, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Matthew 23, 25. Unlike a true shepherd, unlike our great shepherd, false prophets have no true concern for souls of the sheep. Instead, they only seek to profit from them by exploitation. That's why you see so many times those who uh, peddle false gospels or false teachers or, or simply are not qualified men to be behind a pulpit, they also have issues with, with bullying congregations and, and throwing people aside and casting them under the bus to quote some famous phrase by one teacher because they don't truly care for their souls. They're there to profit from them. And if you get in their way, they will run you over and move on and find someone else to exploit because of their greed. And you only have to look at the lifestyles boasted of by, by the prosperity gospel preachers on social media to see how they enrich themselves through their twisting of scripture. And they promise their followers that they can likewise obtain material wealth in this life. There's no shortage of examples of this. Perhaps the most recent, and I admit pretty hilarious, was one such false teacher who in the middle of his live stream was robbed during the church service. And that, that is not good, and that is not in itself that humorous until you learn that having his jewelry stolen, I think it was over $100,000 worth of jewelry that this man had on that was taken from him by some enterprising young man with a gun who saw on the live stream that this professor of Christianity is wearing the equivalent of the cost of a nice house on himself as he calls his congregation to give to the work of the ministry. There was one video that just went around uh, of a preacher. I think he was somewhere in Kansas. The video became viral as he berated his congregation for not buying him the expensive watch that he asked for at Christmas. He berated them because he asked for that watch at Christmas and here it is in August and they still haven't bought it for him. And he can tell their devotion to God based on their service to him. These things happen all of the time. If they boast of their lavish lifestyle, material comforts, if they're wearing $1,000 tennis shoes, a $10,000 watch, an $800 sweatshirt, and $400 skinny jeans, as they encourage their congregation to give sacrificially to the work of their ministry, that is a clear sign to avoid them and their teaching. It's not always so blatant as that. But it is often greed that promotes them to pursue that lifestyle. 
It's often greed that promotes an abandonment of sound doctrine in the first place. How many times have you enjoyed and benefited from some Christian teacher or author or something else, and then after a few years, they just go off the rails? Well, there is a readiness and a willingness to downplay the hard truths of Scripture in order to maintain that influence and, as a result, build and protect their means of gaining wealth. So many people reveal that they love wealth. They love material goods more than they love Christ and His Word. And when things get difficult, they abandon the latter in order to keep the former. This is one important reason that elders must not be greedy for gain, as Titus says in outline the qualifications for church leadership, as this will inevitably cause them to abandon truth and misuse their positions to benefit themselves. Wherever you find someone who claims to be a servant of Jesus Christ, yet lives a life of indulgence and greed, you can be sure that they and their teaching should be avoided. When you encounter those who have issues where they are indulging their sensuality, there is sexual sin that they downplay or excuse in their lives and the lives of their followers, you can know to avoid them. If they seem to be willing to excuse and promote even, to celebrate that which God calls sexual perversion, but they are the first to tout Pride Month and everything else, you can be sure that they have made a calculation in their mind that if that sin can be excused, so too can my own. In Matthew 7, Jesus warns us to beware of false teachers. Tells us we can know them by their fruit. Second, Peter lays that bad fruit all uh, out for all to see. False teachers distort scripture. They teach things that are contrary to God's word. They find obscure passages of God's word to, to make it so you misunderstand clear passages rather than finding clear passages to help you understand the obscure. They use scripture only minimally, if at all, in their teaching. They cherry-pick verses out of context. They may, you'll might notice, hop from translation to translation in order to find something that better suits the point that they are forcing the text to make. False teachers distort Scripture. We see, too, that they are marked by their sensuality, their indulgence of the appetites of the flesh. We see that they are greedy for material gain. And while we always examine someone's teachings against Scripture, having those clear descriptions of false teachers enables us to better protect ourselves and our congregations and our families from them. And to do so, we must not neglect the clear warnings of Scripture that false teachers are out there and that they would do us harm. We must be in the Word. We must become so familiar with our true shepherd's voice that we will not for an instant be deceived into following a false shepherd. We must approach new teachers and resources with a healthy level of skepticism and vet them carefully before benefiting from them. 
And we must sit under even trusted teachers without failing to exercise discernment. Just because someone was trustworthy a decade ago doesn't mean that they haven't made serious and significant shifts in their theology and doctrine and lifestyle. We must always remain vigilant. Beware the false prophets. Beware the wolves in sheep's clothing and do not allow yourselves to be easy prey by failing to heed the warnings of Christ here in Matthew 7. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our true and good shepherd, that you care for us as your sheep, that we can rely on you not only to to provide for us, to guide us beside still waters and to green pastures, but also to use your rod and your staff to defend us from the wolves that would do us harm. We recognize, Lord, that you have not left it so that we are ignorant of the devices of Satan, but you have revealed them to us so that we can be watchful, alert, and vigilant. And Lord, we do not ask that that you cause us to be so concerned and so skittish that we see a, a wolf underneath every sheepskin. But Lord, cause us to be ready to, to trust and to learn from those who show themselves to be true followers of you, who are faithful to your word, knowing that it is ultimately your word that guides and strengthens and teaches us, and that you have provided in your goodness and your kindness many who teach and preach and proclaim that word to our benefit. But help us not to be naive either. Help us not to pretend that all is well and all seek our best interests. For we know, Lord, that there are those who see godliness as a means of gain. Who are ravenous wolves. Who if they are not kept out the doors of the church and our homes, they will devour sheep. They will devour souls if they get the chance. So Lord, cause us to be ever alert and mindful and give us such a love for your word, such a love for the truth that we would never sell it at any cost in order to go and buy some falsehood. We pray this in the name of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen.